Every person has a story, but not everyone has a place to tell it. I'm Frank Swoboda. I've interviewed amazing people all over the planet. I want you to meet them. This week, the most interesting person you've never heard of is... Well, Al Giebel, welcome to the uh, most interesting person you've never heard of. You are one of the most interesting people that no one's heard of. Well, Frank, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm actually honored to know that I'm an interesting person. <laughs> well, and, and uh, um, you were just saying that you've actually been watching the podcast. Yeah, or I listening have, to it. I you, okay, so do you listen to it or do you watch it? Because I, I have this I theory. I really listen to it. Okay, because yeah. I have this theory. Like when Nick and Zach kind of approached me to do this podcast, we had this conversation. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. Easy. I can talk to anybody. No problem. And then they, they're like, yeah, well, we got the camera set up. And I'm like, cameras? What? I'm, so apparently if you're over 45, you only listen to podcasts. But if you're under 30 anyway, 35, right. you you listen to them on YouTube. Right. So you have to film it. Yeah. So you can watch it if you so desire you to watch so it. You so desire to watch it on YouTube. But most of, honestly, Apple Podcasts is where most of our Spotify is where most of I'm most definitely more good. of a, a listener. Yeah, yeah exactly. Watcher, but so. but uh, the, the watching's kind of fun because we, you know, we can show your book and stuff into the camera and go, oh, that's nice. you know, it's like Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon sort of thing. That works pretty good. Well, the reason I want because you're in town for Gonzaga Prep's reunion, your that's mom's, right. yeah. your mom's memorial, yep. and Rita, the legend. Very so, much so. So, I mean, that's how I met you, really, was through your sister Anne and through your mom. So, right. Rita was, Rita Giebel, the legendary librarian at Gonzaga Prep right. for decades. Yeah. I don't know how long she was there, but... Yeah, quite some time. Right. So, she was just like a legend, you know, and everybody... And we would go to your house, yeah. for, you know, that awesome little house on... on Addison, Addison and Princeton, and Princeton yeah, right, right by yeah, right by Prep, really not far. Yeah, and and hang out there. But she was just so smart and funny and treated us like we weren't kids. I guess was what yeah, I thought was yeah. cool. She had a very kind of welcoming kind of demeanor towards I think ourselves and then all of our friends. Right, so it was always an open door. But and, she was still kind of tough because she was still yeah. the librarian, so she could kick your ass a little bit. Yeah, There's no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah, so I and then your dad was just great. And yeah. I was what I loved about Big Al was he he was the coach of Mead. That's right. Freshman football. So <laughs> we right. would like, wait a minute, you're the enemy? You're like related to the enemy cuz right. when G Prep and Mead played, I mean, yeah. Wasn't pretty, and he was very successful. Very good he's coach. A, yeah, he's like a junior, legendary uh, yeah, coach. He, he actually coached his whole career in junior high. Never went to high school or other levels. Right. And so he was, you know, a thirty-year institution there. Right. You know, churning out, you know, ninth-grade champion teams. Right. 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 Running into Ron Long in the yep. Fighting Bull. Oh, Ron, RL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so. Jason Hansen had probably yeah, played for him. All those exactly. guys. You know, oh, they, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Scott Pelour, the Pelour Scott Pelour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He. He speaks. I remember he. I just went through some clippings that my mom had kept, and one was. An interview of Scott Pelour, who had you know played at Washington State and then made it into the pros right. for a bit, and made the comment in the interview that one of his most impactful coaches was my dad. Oh. You know, the junior high school guy that was you know kind of short and tough and right you know. spark plug. But yeah, and he said, you know, I the only thing, and I think this is the highest compliment. He goes, I just remember when Coach Giebel was there, I played harder. Huh? You know, that is it was a great kind compliment. of that. 
That is a you great know, point. once again, it's not so much the, what you do, it's how people react to you, you know, later, whether that's in memory, thought, or... Right, right. You know, it, right. It's the memory, that, it's, it's the, the image you left on right, somebody, right? Right, just that motivational impression. Right, you know, right. So very well, you left a huge impression on me because you are one of my heroes. So oh, I, yeah. I don't even know if you know this, but you're probably one of the reasons that I do what I do now. Mm. And, and because... I, my one of my earliest memories of you was was the freshman year pepcon <laughs> right so you were the asp president of That's 82 right, yeah. and i was the asp president maybe it was sophomore year i was the asp president in 85 okay and so i just remember we would go you know everybody goes out for this this assembly basically and this one was on the football field right so we right. i'm like why are we going on the football field so we go on the football field and all of a sudden a helicopter shows up and yes, you walk out of the helicopter to ridiculous cheers. I mean, it was pandemonium. Like, you didn't need to do anything but walk out of that helicopter. It lands on the football field, okay? And you're dressed like Douglas MacArthur? Am I right about this memory? Yes, and I had my boom chugga team of, uh, you know, Bill Camp and <laughs> others right. doing a little boom, bit of the, lugga, lugga, boom. A little oh, bit of the Stripes uh, program. Right, it, was stripes. <laughs> it was basically Stripes. You, know, you come out, salutes. Saluting, and, and, and it was just ridiculous. So the two questions I have, and one, one of the memories is, which I experienced myself when I did the pop guns, because when I did them, I was Gumby. So I actually dressed okay. up as Eddie That's Murphy and Gum, yeah, as Gumby. Yeah. And then we did, uh, it was Jim Lang, the host of the dating game. Okay, and so we did this great good. dating game bit that was uh, awesome. But, but I just remember the, the, the strange experience of walking out commanding the room and seeing Don Anderson, yeah. <laughs> the, legend, the legendary serious football coach, kind of laughing a little. Yeah. And, and A wry smile. A maybe wry smile, maybe. But get. just like, like, oh, shit, he's what? Oh, what are we doing here? Did you, have, did you feel, you felt yeah. the burn? And I forget exactly what prompted my thought that year. I think I'd seen some, somebody prior to me in ASB. Had done something cool. Something. And so we just made it our mission to do something every week. So I think my very first one was King Tut. Oh, it was King Tut. Yeah, where the oh, guys carried right. me on a stretcher. That's right. and of course, no, we, had this, we had the Steve Martin, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Do the, King Tut. Yeah. You, he's my uh, friend. Yeah, exactly. He's a, you yeah. know, from the Stone Age or right. whatever. Oh, my God. They carried so you in. That was can, the first can, one. Yeah, that was the first one. I and then we, that. you know, we, I, I remember Ed, Eddie. Uh, uh, and I did a, a one with a Bill and Ted, the the beer guys, the oh yeah, yeah, SCTV yeah, yeah, yeah. guys. SCTV guys you know? yeah. oh, we use soda cans, not beer cans, because <laughs> well, you know it's, it's high school. Yeah, but no, the finale was that, that Doug and Bu- Bu- Doug and Bob McKenzie. Yeah, Doug and Bob McKenzie. That's right. And then and then it was that that spring one where you know once again thanks to my parents because we had this idea and of course I had all my my cohorts in the in the military, uh, you know, stripes unit, <laughs> right. who wanted me to fly in. So we went out to Feltsfield, and I think it cost you know fifty bucks or something. And mom and dad put up the money because we didn't want to take it, you know, from from the school. We didn't want it to look like you know some the, kind of a right. special deal or whatever. Right. I remember getting in this helicopter. It was very small, just the you know two seater. It seemed huge to us. And the guy said to me. <laughs> Dude, when you get out, just don't walk towards the back. 
So, so that's the only thing I can think of is like don't duck a little and don't walk towards the web because I didn't want to, you know, make it into a huge scene, you know. Oh, so like that. right. That so anyway, he memorable. circled a little bit in Feltsfield, of course, not far from not Deep Prep. So we we circled a little. And I, I could I went over my house and I don't know it was oh, amazing cool. to. And that's the first time I'd ever been in a at, helicopter, at like right? like 17, you're pulling yeah, this yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. So in my, you know, Douglas MacArthur <laughs> garb. Out of the pipe, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, he, uh, I forget, I think we had Pat Schulteis or one of the one of the, the Stripes guys waved a, a flag to signal, okay, you know, of course, he didn't have walkie-talkies or anything. Right, so, right. All right, set her down, you know. Vroom, you know, so... Of course, then we and I didn't walk towards the back. I ducked. You, you made get it. Get the hell away from You that. made it alive. Uh, but uh, that wow. was a gas. It was really a lot of fun. And, and I think you know, obviously, if my life had gone in, in other different ways, I I could have, I guess, ended up in Hollywood. Oh, you, you know, totally could. Dude, you still could. <laughs> you know, it was always you know that was that was always well, a fun thing, sitting around and kind of yakking right. it up. And, well, when, to, and when we did the yeah. the one I was most proud of was the dating game. I talked about it once, once mm. on the podcast, but I um, we basically set this thing up where we had three. Uh, teachers pretend oh, okay. to be football players okay. and this freshman girl and so right. you know John Walk and uh, and oh, Jack Delahanty okay. okay and Tom Swinnell who's right. a large man I right and she would ask questions like you know bachelor number two what one word to describe yourself and Zwindle would say petite you know and the <laughs> okay. place would go crazy right. and they wrote all their own little lines and jokes yeah, we, sure. we just had the questions and then they you know they took it as far I didn't have to and and it went over amazing and I was really proud of that and it ended up like right on the dime at, a, at an hour like sort of there's something about Einstein time where if everything's flowing it ends up being perfect you know that's I've had that experience before and it got done I'm like I can do this like yeah. this is uh, that was my first production oh, kind of, nice. you know what I mean you pulled the, you produced something right and yeah so now I produce stuff all the time yeah and and, and that was really kind of well where you it can started. see the magic to just getting people in the right position right envisioning you know? and it. knowing what you know what I mean, some people are obviously just very funny people, and right. some people are more straight. But right. being straight can be very funny right. too. Right. You know, the guy that's, that's right. Oh, right. oh yeah, you know, exactly. It's funny. <laughs> if he's in the There's right situation, the funny. Now, sometimes they funny, don't know they're funny. That's exactly. a different issue. That's true. <laughs> you know? But it led to you know, I wrote and produced a movie, and yeah, and and that great. that you know, it's no different really the making of that than it was you know than any than anything else. I mean, right. it's it's the same experience as putting that thing together. You know, you got to. Kind of envision it, come back, you know, reverse engineer back to how right. you're going to pull it off and how am I going to get a helicopter and all the stuff that you do. And we, I just still do that every day. So I thank you because oh, you were the inspiration I, for me wanting to do that. I'm humbled to hear that. And I remember those, those pep cons rather, I'm sure like you do and that. When you pull it off and it goes oh, well, it's, it's such a, a high, such a great well, I, feeling. I, I did tell this before, but Sister Boss. Remember okay, Sister yeah, Boss? Okay, yeah. kind of a scary... I would say she looks like Marge Simpson's sisters. Right. <laughs> the tight floor, right. you know. And I never talked to her once in my life. I just right. avoided her, you know. Yeah. I don't have a class with her. Uh, yeah. And I got a letter from her, and oh. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Sister Boss, I am in trouble. And it was... I think I still have it somewhere. It was so well written, really nice. So that's the best 
Pepcon I've seen here in the time I've been oh, here. Oh, that's it wonderful. was on time. It was positive. It wasn't right. You know, you weren't you weren't making stupid jokes. Right. It, it, it was you know well. It didn't waste our time. You know, I was just like, wow. Okay, if I can pull that off, if she can buy this. Well, you you probably <laughs> Im- improved. You improved on mine because I think the king. Oh, I don't know. Silly Steve Martin jokes no, that I could pull. No, I, no. It the was, beer hunter was you know throwing you know tin cans against. No, but the beauty of them were, <laughs> all of these as we describe them, they were. <laughs> They were simple, right? They right. were—it's a simple get, gag, you know. Oh, stripes, got it, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, oh, Gumby, got it, yeah. you know. Like, like that, that, we were definitely ripping people we off, were but totally in a good way. ripping people yeah. off. But, it, but, but, you know, it made everybody laugh, so it was kind of the best thing. So, how did you get to? How did you get to Singapore? You live in Singapore. I do, I do, and I've what lived there the over world? twenty Spokane years. Spokane to Singapore know, and back. You're, you're yeah, back, I'm, Al. I'm back for a just visit, when you think but, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things, you know, and I met only a very few, maybe you have that somebody that knew what they wanted to do in their life and set a plan and said, I'm going to go here to do this and get there for, you know, and I'm going to end up X. And no, my life has been nothing like that. <laughs> Most people know. No. And so I, you know, just through re- people I met through the years, actually one I worked in Alaska during undergrad in a fish cannery and I met oh, wow. a guy there. Uh, Brian Bromsicle, who called me a few years later, who was in South Korea, and this was in 1987, 88, uh, saying, hey, Al, it's a lot of fun over here. Why don't you come join me? I've got some contacts at Daewoo and some companies that, you know, I maybe can find you a job. And I was in the Bay Area at the time with not an overly interesting job. Because you graduated from UW. Graduated from the UW, and then I moved to the Bay Area with my brother, Tom. Tommy, was, yeah, yeah, who passed away, right? He passed oh, away, that was, yeah. That was not long sad. ago, yeah. which was a very sad it young was. man. Yeah, yeah. He was an aircraft mechanic right. and was working for United, so yeah. I bunked in with him in Foster City. I always joke, I should have bought a flat there while we were there yes, in you 87. <laughs> oh, my God, 87. Having a, a different conversation. <laughs> you wouldn't be here. Well, I don't know. I may still be here because I love being here, you know, so... Um, but anyway, yeah, I was living with Tom and just working a job that wasn't anything that overly interesting. So I jumped at this chance to go to Korea, uh, which was really my first big trip. I had been to Europe on kind of a Eurorail backpack, but you know, I'm just a regular Spokane kid. I grew right. up here. Right. My family summer trips were a drive to Calgary, maybe go to California, right. stay at Shashin Lake, right. go yeah, to the yeah. lake, and yeah. you know. So it wasn't like you know a lot of the guys I run into overseas. They might be diplomats, kids, or people that had had that experience. So this was a total lark. I fly to Korea. It turns out my buddy has no contacts for jobs. Oh my god! But I had a thousand dollars. I had a thousand dollars. I flew into Seoul, Kimpo Airport at the time before they built the new one at Incheon. I got a taxi into town where my buddy was. We went out and we went to a pojan matcha, which is a tent. And in the winters, I, most people don't realize how cold it gets in Seoul, in South Korea. Mm. The wind just comes off of Mongolia down through North Korea. I watched MASH. It's, Come it's, on. Yeah, it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's the coldest I've ever been. So uh, anyway, we went out, we drank some soju and makgeolli and ate a little local. And then luckily I ran into a Kiwi guy who was look, always on the lookout for people that would be willing to teach English. You know, And the prerequisite was... 
You were a foreigner who spoke English as a native language. It was a conversational English. So, bing, bing. Yeah, I could do that. And you could so, do that. yeah. So for two years, and so what I found in that time, just spending the time there, and in, in Korea in '87 is nothing like it is today. So there was, I beat the first McDonald's to Seoul. Wow. Uh, there was Wendy's. Someone had gotten the Wendy's franchise earlier on. Uh, there. You know, imports were at a minimum. Literally, you could bring in a bottle of booze duty free. You could sell it for a two, couple hundred bucks. Wow! Because you, know, you know these things just weren't happening. Uh, actually, I think we broke the law at one point. I came back on a holiday and I, I bought one of those Nintendo PlayStation. Do I have to cut this out later? No. Okay. I think they let me let it slide for now. But I put it in my bag to take it back. Well, during that time, there's a cultural import, uh, a cultural boycott between Korea and Japan oh. so you know there was no J-pop K-pop you know in those days and even t to this day there's a lot of bad Tension feelings between those. Yeah, really? well, I didn't realize that yeah Japan had colonized <clears throat> Korea prior to World War II and for 30 okay. years a very kind of a brutal colonization where Koreans were made to change their names to Japanese names and you wow. know, speak Japanese so a lot of harsh hard feelings yeah. you know even to this day they still you know, which is a little bit curious in that well, they're both very strong U.S. allies. Absolutely. And they're both very fearful of China and the rise of China. Right. But There's a lot of reasons why they should cooperate. Right. But there's still that tension. There's still that, that, you know, once again, it's that past. Cousins. Yeah. Cousin. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to get over. Yeah, so anyway, sure. yeah, I would say the long and short of it, from that moment forward, from that experience, I learned there's two types of traveler. There's kind of the one that sees something different or see something and says, well, that's not very nice, or we do it better, it's more judgmental. And then there's others that just go, oh, that's kind of weird. I want to figure that out. Right, yeah. You know? And if you're the weird, I want to figure that out kind, then you love living in different cultures. Right, and I kind of do, that's me, I, yeah. the curious part. Yeah. I remember being in Hong Kong at Stanley and walking across by a food stall and just getting wafted with the smell, which two of my buddies said, ah, oh, that stinks. And I said, well, not to them. Right. You know, because there's right. like you know, right. people there eating. Oh, yeah. That you know, right. if you've ever been around <clears throat> durian, my wife is from Malaysia. That's a very pungent tropical fruit that people love to eat. Right. But you, it's hard to get past the smell of it. So. Right. So anyway, that just set me off on I really want to, you know, live and work in Asia. So you're open to it. Very open. I went back that was to the grad trick. school and, and made it a mission to get back to Asia. And so that happened in 97, AT&T Lucent, I was working for at the time, sent me. I was running sales for one of the divisions. Wow. Traveling, you know, all back and forth. And I finally said to my boss, look, you need to move me because I can't do these. You can't. You know, oh, that's eighteen a, that's hour a, flights. Oh, they're brutal. Over, yeah. yeah, I've gone to China. You know, okay. you in know ten how days. That goes, and, oh, yeah. my, I mean, it's like you know, twenty four hour travel day. Like the yeah. entire time is traveling. And then and you know, got to get over that somehow. So, so anyway, right. it takes yeah, you a week. You know, I got there, and then I've just made a life there, and uh, I feel kind of humbled. I've seen the growth. Singapore has become you know, major player in South, major player on the global stage, you know, for a city of, city, a country that's only got six million people. <clears throat> right. But it's the kind of Switzerland of Asia that's the banking capital, lawyering capital. So this leads to the obvious question. Yeah. How many times have you been caned? 
I've never been canned. <laughs> so I always have to cl- clarify this with, with people that say, you live in St. Martin. It's a fine city. Yes, I know. We have a lot of fines. But uh, what's funny is you never see a policeman. You, you, it's just you never see cops. So we have a very the order. Threat, the threat is there. And... Uh, there's a lot of cameras. So, you know, mm. a lot of traffic citations are done via camera. Sure. So you, you run a you know, red light, you get it. You get a ticket. You get well, it in we the mail. get that here in Spokane, Washington. Right. You get a speeding, <clears throat> you get a speeding ticket in the mail. Uh, and then a lot of the laws, like the jaywalking law, the chewing gum laws, um, I call them kind of, you know, asshole laws and that you have to really be a flagrant vi- a violator right. to, to, to get fined i've you know never been fined i have one i know of one friend that got a jaywalking fine but he was walking across a major orchard boulevard which is a major shopping area and it was early morning he thought i'll just slip across real quick and there was a policeman under the tree there Ready with the snagging. With the, with the, <laughs> but I had another friend that ran a red light, and he, he saw the flash, so he knew he was going to get a ticket. Yeah. It was a motorcycle uh, riding. And he went to the government and said, I want, a, I want a copy of the picture, because he thought it'd be cool to put in frame and put on his wall. And they came clean and said, you know, we can't find it, so we're going to waive the fine, and we're not going to charge you. Wow. So they're very fair. So when it comes <clears throat> to the rules are very clear, it's, you know, a very orderly society so and and clean from what i hear right very clean very you know city yeah so they're out cleaning constantly you know there's that not a homeless problem problem there uh no you know i think the asian culture still has that kind of extended family take care of your own young Mm -hmm. generation take care of the old generation Mm -hmm. that's been lost here completely a little in a big way in a big way and yeah. then the government does have subsidized housing, so if people fall through the cracks, there are housing available. We don't have a drug problem because we don't have any drugs. Uh, it's very um, strict, no drug policy, so I don't expect marijuana to get uh, legalized anytime wow. soon. Um, <clears throat> actually, Thailand recently announced that they've legalized marijuana. Wow. And Singapore government came out to make it clear that it doesn't matter where you take the drug, if we test you, ain't gonna you, happen you here. Know, yeah, you're, you're, it's so still is it tested? Them. You're tested? No, no, never. No, but it's just that kind the of threat. The threat the, of it that yeah, you know right, could right. happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, we lost something there. Yeah, that's all right. I think we can. You can figure that. Look at him. He's so handy. Yeah. These guys from Singapore. I mean, oh, pretty good. Wow, that's probably all right. So, so this whole global world. What What's the biggest thing you've learned from that sort of trip? Oh, here, hold on. Is that gonna work? Hey, Zach. Okay, we're okay, I think. Oh, that'll work. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, it's interesting. Oh, we just, this, this, uh, this thing just, just fell down. So. Ah, we're good. We're cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think the biggest thing, and, you know, Frank, I'm thinking about writing some kind of a paper, whether it's an article about kind of my life in globalization, because I started going to Asia in 93, and in those days I had a beeper. Remember beepers? Yes. You know, and it didn't work outside the U.S. anyway, so I had nothing. And I used to carry a binder full of overheads, transparencies. Wow. And I'd go into a customer and I'd say, where's your overhead projector? And we would flip view graph. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, if I say that to any of my young colleagues, they're they like, what's view What's an overhead projector? <laughs> and so, you know, once again, in those days, it was very face-to-face. There was no internet. So, so one of the things the internet's done is it's it's really democratized to some degree that kind of information. So anyone can Google and find a source if you wanted to, you know, 
right. find a source for some type of product from Malaysia or from China. It's very easy to do. In those days, it was not so easy at all. Right. Uh, so, you know, we've seen, I've just followed this kind of explosion. And, I, you know, some of it I look back on not so positively. I used to work out of a factory in Mesquite, <clears throat> Texas that employed probably 4,000 people building the products that I sold in Asia. Wow. And I love that factory. I was proud of that factory. Right. And by the time my 10 years at Lucent was up, that factory didn't exist. That factory was in Me Mexico. There was part of that factory in Mexico, part of it in India, part of it in China. But not in the United States. Not in the United States. Right. And that was a conscious choice that I think we have to fess up to. Most, own. Yeah, we have to own that. I think the whole free trade, the whole, you know, capitalism knows best. The market, I hear a lot of people say, the market, well, the market knows, knows best. best. Right. Well, you know what the market knows? The market knows how to make money. Okay, it doesn't always know best. And if you want the purest form of capitalism in the world today, it's called the black market. Right. Okay, that is the purest form. Buyer beware, there are no rules. You know, you can put poison in the product and if it kills the kids, whatever, I made my money. You, yeah, you were you dumb know. enough to buy it. Right, and most of the rest of the world has practiced some form of managed capitalism where, yeah, they're following the, the tenets and the rules in, in general of trade. But they might have protected industries. They might say, no, this is too important for us to, you know, leave it just to the market. And, you know, now some are more heavy-handed than others. Um, I think that actually, in many ways, China is more capitalistic than America. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. they know how to make money. They love to make money. That's what most Chinese uh business people are really good at just well, chasing and, dollars. And, and just being over there for a few days, you get the sense that they are... That's, that's what they aspire to, you know? And I, I always felt like it was kind of like, when I was over there, I, I, I just remember thinking, wow, they completely own us, really. They own, all, they own us in a lot of ways. Well, but, but, yeah. but they also don't have the one thing that we have. We're cool. <laughs> there, well, is a, there is, a, there is an, a, 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 like they desire to be us. Right. If, there, if we don't Am I right about it, that? No. I, well, I think there were definitely 20 years ago. Or at least ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Many years ago, ago yeah. for sure. Soft power has always been the strongest bit of our arsenal. Right. And, that, and it still is today. I, you know, once again, so if you ask a kid in Beijing or in Singapore, where do you want to go to school? They're most likely to say Stanford, MIT, Harvard. Right. You know, like you know, Peking University. Now, some may, but in general. The dream is. The dream is United still States. in the higher education uh, institutions wow. are a huge draw, and wow. we should take advantage of sopping up that talent more. Yes, you know, rather than de denying it from even coming here. Right, exactly. I, I mean, look at some of the leaders of you know many of our you know so uh, Microsoft, Google, and many of them today Absolutely. are immigrants yes. you know, or had come from immigrant right. parents. Right. Uh, so that's a huge uh, um, opportunity opportunity for right. us. And the other thing I always say is, look. If you want to assess the viability of your particular country, look where the elites, look where the rich people put their money. Okay, so if you went to you know, Warren Buffett or if you went to Bill Gates and looked at their portfolios, where's your money? 80% of it's going to be in the U.S. in real estate and stocks and bonds and the rest. If you go to rich Chinese people, most of their money's not going to be in China. It's in the United States. Yeah, it's, good. it's going to be somewhere else. Somewhere else. Maybe in London, maybe, you know, <clears throat> and it's usually not in their name. Right. Uh, it's the same in Russia, you know, because these people are worried. The system 
is fragile enough that they could lose everything. Right. And so there's no Put it in a more stable place. Ah, well, look, rule of law and, you know, those types of things. No kidding. Sometimes we change change of Change of regime. That's right. So, and you see that in these countries, in China in particular, when the new rulers now, it looks like Xi is going to, he's changed the constitution to stay in indefinitely. So... He may be yeah, like that was a, handy. It might be a, a Mao type run where you know he'll be there a long time. But you know when you're at the whim of a small group of people, whether it's a party or whether it's an individual, then it makes that that kind of nervousness heightened. And then people look, you know, many uh, Chinese rich Chinese people that I, I've known have two passports. You know, they hmm. they've got their escape plan. Wow, you know whether it's Canada or the U.S. or the U.K. or wow. wherever. So, wow. speaking of that, do you, ever, do you have you ever felt threatened? You ever felt in a situation where I, you're like, I should not be here? I haven't. Uh, so, I mean, I I guess sometimes in some parts of Southeast Asia where where you know, law and order can be of an issue, unlike Singapore, is really a unique stop within it is, yeah. most of Asia. Right. So, uh, every now and again, we where you know, where are the sketchy spots? Uh, well, I think within a lot of the any of the big cities. So you get outside of Singapore, you've got you know kind of the big cities around Southeast Asia: Manila, uh, Kuala Lumpur, Bangkok, Jakarta. You know any one of those cities, you can find places that you, you can know, find trouble. Yeah, but trouble in could... general, I you know, yeah, right. I just have never really had. Yeah, so any... that, that's a bit of a. No, I've never had I've, I've never had anyone try to rob me, or I've never been mugged, or and in most cases, people also look out for you. I think just as a, they know you're a visitor, so it's like you know, there's always somebody around that's like yeah. That was the other thing. Like any any ever problems, any ever times you ever felt like I should tell them I'm Canadian. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I only, in terms of how they view the U.S. No, no, I, I think like this, the impression of the U.S. So for most of the people that have visited the U.S., it's still very, very positive. Right, because people right, come right. here, they they see the people. The, hey, right. how you doing? That whole greeting, you know, yeah. that's very unique. You know, it is. In, in lots of the rest of the world, people are not as neighborly and mm-hmm. as friendly as we are. That's true. Uh, so I, I think. You know, I sometimes will say I'm a Canadian if I don't want to discuss U.S. politics. <laughs> I don't that's have the, time. the next question is, well, what do you think of? And yeah. you know, I mean, fill in the blank. Right, fill in the blank. There's so many of them now that even if I had an opinion, it it would be longer than a taxi ride to, <laughs> to right. discuss it. So. And you've seen in, over this time, what, so how many years now? Uh, really over, living, stationing in, in... So I lived the two years in Korea. That was 88 to 90. And that was a special time. Most people don't realize that Korea is a major thriving democracy today and really a, a, an example. A beacon. A beacon. But, you know, from World War II when, when the Americans, you know, it was... was General man- MacArthur. When all MacArthur, the way. All ties you go back. back to the... You go back to the... <laughs> The Korean War and the mm-hmm. partition of the nation and, and right. DMZ so from and all then that. until eighty seven, it was ruled by strongman dictators. Uh, the most prominent was Pak Chung Hee, which of course we, as the kind of the main protector in, in terms of having forces supported, you know, because we wanted a stable Korea. Right. Uh, and we and the, trumped him up. We, no pun intended. You know, yeah, we we tried to. <laughs> You know, keep him out of trouble. Right. 
And then he was actually assassinated by one of his generals. And then Chen Duan tried to move this on to one of his minions, No Te Wu. Uh, unfortunately, the Olympic Games had been awarded to Seoul in 88. So there was a lot of international attention and pressure about the political situation. And and actually, this is a case where uh, international pressure worked. The international community said, we're going to take the games away from you unless you have an election. And so they had an election and, you know, No Tewu won the election. (laughs) But it was a fair election that the the opposition party was, was split within three, the three Kims. And, and No Te Wu won with 37% of the vote. I happened to arrive right as he was taking wow. on. So, I mean, the tear gas is just clearing. As long as I was there in the late 80s, there were riot policemen on the streets wow. around major universities. Wow. But it was a beautiful thing. And I was recently in Seoul. There's a, a, a modern history museum right downtown where you walk into this presidential room and it has a picture of all the presidents. And so you go, okay, there's Sung Man Rhee. He's that first one. Uh, then there's Pak Chung Hee. Uh, then all of a sudden it's, you know, No Tae Woo, Kim Dae Jung, Kim Jong. Every five years they've had a peaceful transition of power. Of power. Wow. And they've recently had another one. There's a new president. This so they do five years. Five years. Which one, is, I think, smart. One five-year term. <laughs> yeah, um, a one but, five-year term. Wow. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's, so this is actually... A, so were you there when the Olympics was going on? I went to the Olympics. I was in the stadium wow. when uh, Ben Johnson beat Carl Lewis in the 100-meter dash. How amazing is that? And we knew it was rigged. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the next day he was caught doping. Yeah, that's right. Carl got the gold. That's right. Uh, actually, I think the American basketball team, one of the first times we lost the gold medal, and I saw a number of the basketball games, I think uh, David Robinson was on right. that particular And that was squad. when they were college kids still, wasn't it? I, was that, that before the Green was, Team? Yeah, it was one Green year. Was I think, the first I think year the, uh, that the NBA. I think the next year we put I the pros it, in because we it didn't was, want it. It was a dream team. Right, in L.A. where yeah. we didn't want to lose ever again. That's and, right. You know, so then they like, <laughs> forget <of> this. <laughs> you lost the gold. But I actually we're going to send over Barkley and Stockton. Baseball was the first time. In the Olympics, that Olympics. So I went to some baseball games. Wow, cool. And uh, hey, that we got a beep going on. All right, is that a problem, or can we keep rolling? Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, and, and what's funny if you get a chance to go to the Olympic Games, right, is go to some of the smaller events. Right. So I went to like weightlifting. I didn't know anything about it, but I was How fascinated cool. by it. Wow. I went to the. Uh, cycling, you know, in the velodrome. Oh, yeah. And so I sat down to this guy and I just, you know, started talking, you know, hey, how you doing? It was an, a, a, an American guy. And it turned out his brother was on the U.S. Olympic team. Wow. So he's like explaining, like, why they kind of stop and balance and then they go. And, wow. you know, and I, I mean, it, it was such a fun thing to, to experience because I wanted to know. I would love to go to Olympics. That would be yeah. really cool. And some of the smaller events, uh, I did see Janet Evans win gold wow. in the distance swimming. So I did. So so anyway, the big ones at those Olympics was swimming and gymnastics. I couldn't get a gymnastics ticket. That was a hot <laughs> ticket. But I did get a couple swim tickets, and then I saw basketball and and it was, you know, once again, kind of that coming out party for the South Koreans. Like, hey, you're in our capital. 
you know, best foot forward. Right, we're all this together. You know, clean, clean as can be. Right, really right, right. set up. Right, um, but you know, then I think the really big coming out was when they co-hosted the uh, World Cup with the Jap- with Japan. So those have been like. Almost like our Expo '74 Absol- here. Like absolutely. they, they really just put them on a Propol- map, and, and it puffed up the chest right. of the people that live it's, there. Yeah. Give you pride. I mean, yeah. we're 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 gonna face yeah, 50th anniversary coming up here of Expo soon. I recently found, and I should have brought it. We could have put it on camera. My season pass. No so way. Very little. Oh my gosh! So you wasn't gray hair then. <laughs> So my brother and I got season passes because my parents decided that we would be the tour guides for any of the relatives. <laughs> oh, that good. It's great. So two interesting things happened to me. Because you couldn't have been that old. I was like no, 7 or 10, maybe? I was, yeah, I was uh, 12. Wow. So, uh, no, I was 10. Yeah, right. Um, my grandpa had an apartment right across from the opera house. Oh, wow. And the, the apartment complex is still there. Yeah, yeah. okay. Sure and he that. was like on the sixth floor looking. Now, the Chernobyl building, as we call it? Uh, it Maybe. It looks like. <laughs> It looks like a Soviet right, area. Now, I don't know how we got away with this, but the Secret Service did not disallow us from standing on his 10th story balcony to watch Richard Nixon come by I remember that. in the motorcade yeah. oh, wow. to open the games. Oh, and then I remember at that. the end of the games, another Ford, uh, Gerald it. Ford closed it. I know. So we were right in the I wasn't watching TV at that point. Right. Well, to, I was to in know. the crowd at seven when he, uh, at the park. But I just Nixon. thought I it was kind that. of a weird thing. You know, we had Richard Nixon open and Gerald Ford close I, I know, it. exactly. That, of course, always, that was just yeah. in the eight months of the right. World's World, Fair. Yeah, Watergate. That Watergate Right in the happened. middle of it. Mean, that was yeah. the height of Watergate when he came here. Yeah. And so I went probably every other day because somebody yeah. from Canada, relatives would come right, and right, mom right. and dad say, oh, well, you got to take them yeah. down and show yeah, them yeah. around. Oh, and it was cool. So I probably saw so up cool. with people. 50 times <laughs> and the guys the drummers the steel oh the steel the drummer guys steel I remember the guys were great you know who was in up with people that I, I didn't realize that I think was at expo oh. Glenn Close oh really was originally was one of the was performers one of, yeah that's where she got her start and amazing? then I remember which is kind of sad to say but I remember going to the IMAX that was the yes. first IMAX theaters oh, yeah. one oh, of the yeah. very first right and we showed that film that was really about the earth right it was and it had it was this scene where the ecology. plane like flew into the Grand Canyon and you felt like you were flying yeah. right and then they had the scene where the fire had taken out the trees and they were replanting and yep you know, we even had the Indian at the end. That's right. It was Chief, Chief Joseph. I yeah, believe. And, and you know, here we are. What that's eight, you know, forty years later. And we haven't done a damn thing. Not much. Mo- not much. <laughs> no. I know. It was the. I mean, that was really the point of it. I, and and I was talking. That about, was the theme. It was the theme. It, know, was, it was Canada Island was all about. It was ecology. Know, yeah, so. And I think that stuff stuck with me anyway, and it yeah. probably stuck with you. The other thing, my brother and I have talked about this because we have traveled a lot over the world, around the world. Do you feel like this whole excursion to those worlds that that expo did have an impact on that? Like you, you, we got to see the world yeah. every day, you know. And I don't know if you've maybe thought about that, but I, I we look back and we're like, you know, I, I wonder if we kind of had permission just from being at expo and seeing all these different people from around the world, realizing, wow, this is kind of a small world, really. They're all here, yeah. and, and we got to see, unlike most people in most cities in America, for a really brief summer. The entire world here, and I, I I can't help but think that it had to have a little bit of a permission slip for yeah, you. Yeah, to... maybe I never really thought of. I just remember obviously when you're ten, 
you'd rather go to Disneyland well, and, yeah. you know, be on Space Mountain. So right. some of the, you But know, the gondolas going through the park was kind oh, of cool. that, Yeah, it was a little thrilling the first time. <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, Space then Mountain. there were a lot of, a lot of the exhibits. I remember, you know, actually it's kind of, from my neck of the woods, is, is the China Pavilion was Taiwan. Right. So at the, in 1974, it, we, it was, not we did not recognize, recognize uh, China. China at that. Right. It was so Taiwan. Taiwan. China was, was not there. China. Taiwan was there. Right. Yes. So we just ignored the billion plus two billion people right. over there. They just, didn't. You know, we're focused here. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I, you know, I, obviously it had some kind of an impact. I don't really think about it that much. It was right. more just, oh, I can go with my relatives and right. see the things that I enjoy seeing. Right. Right. But it was a, a great experience. And what a great thing for the city. I mean, that was an unused, very dilapidated part of town in the heart of the city. Now I'm staying right near the park. I've walked through it every day. It's amazing, life. isn't it's, it? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's great. It's one of the most, you know? it's a wonder. And I've that taken a couple different routes. I've gone through the Canada Island. Yeah. A couple, and then I've walked, you know, around down below where right. they still have the stage where the steel drum guys right. used to be. Yeah, I remember that little spot, you know, a little, little amphitheater there. Still there, you yeah. know. And, yeah. and I saw the garbage goat yesterday. My daughter <laughs> freaked out when I pushed the button. She's like, oh, my God, what's so the goat she, do? she grew up in, in Singapore, correct? Right. So my, is, this, is this new? What does she think of Spokane? She loves it. Um Mainly just because we had, you know, the family and then my hometown kind right, of thing. Right, right, my, right, right. my sister's husband, his family's all here, Bill Moore and that crew. So, yeah. And so, yeah, I think of all the places actually, you know, that we've seen in America, even my wife really likes Spokane a lot. Yeah. It just doesn't seem so crazy like when you're in San Francisco or L.A. Seattle or, even. Yeah. yeah. yeah or yeah, even yeah. Seattle, right? right? Where the traffic it's is just, overwhelming. Right. You right. can actually get around here. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, yeah. That's that's cool. And so you, you also, I mean, I see you're sporting your Gonzaga. Yes. Awesome. Uh-huh. Hawaiian. I'm jealous. Shirt. Of course, you've always been a Hawaiian shirt kind of guy. Oh, no. But, but, uh, Zags are, uh, basketball, Zags are kind of known over there, right? It really well, so didn't I, hurt, I suppose. I, I wear Gonzaga shirts regularly. I have got. I just dropped some coin at the shop three days ago. <laughs> yep, Five years ago, I was out and I got my champion tees with. Right. You know, I got the red but, one yeah, and the blue yeah. one and the white one. And, yeah. And so they're getting a little frayed in the collar. So, time. Time know, for an upgrade. Time for an upgrade. So I got three of those, same style. And then I, oh, this looks pretty nice. And I got a collared golf shirt and. My daughter got a cap. Do you get stopped when you're wearing that? Every now and again, someone will, ah, go Zags. <laughs> so there's definitely Zag fans everywhere. Uh, Singapore, not a, a ton. Now, basketball, I think when I've it's, been in the Philippines, the Filipinos love hoops. So if you're in Manila. Really? Yeah, they're big on Because Seoul's basketball. a baseball town now. Yeah, so up North Asia, Japan, Taiwan, Korea, they love their baseball. And they've got very good pro leagues and, and oh, yeah. players well, that course. have gone to majors Ichiro, and back. And, Otani, yeah. all those guys, yeah. Yeah. And Big Che was on the Dodgers. He was a yeah. Korean slugger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I tried to make a mobile game. When I was in the mobile game-making industry, we tried to get his rights to make a home run derby game with him. Wow. But... Uh, yeah, Southeast Asia, of course, the sport is always football for the world, meaning soccer. soccer. Yeah. yeah. So anywhere yeah. you go in the world, 
their nuts about it. We're the it. only ones who um, are, get, are well, late, late to the game. it's a little better. It's getting, it but, is getting better. Uh, you know, and then in, in some parts of the world where their domestic leagues aren't so good, they'll look to the Premier League or the Bundesliga or right. La Liga or one of the European leagues. Um, but, yeah, basketball is pretty big, and I do, you know, I've been lucky. Do you get to follow Zags? I do, and you know what's so funny, and this is, you know, once again, kind of the testament. So if you just think of my career, like 93 to now, you know, that's a 30-year run of being overseas. So right. when I first moved to Singapore in 97, I was still a big Husky football fan. Yeah. And I had to order VHS tapes from a company in Germany that would mail them to me. <laughs> wow, that's hardcore, dude. Right? You are but, but there was no ESPN. There was no internet. Right, so right. I didn't know the score. Right. The only way for me to out. know the score is make a long-distance phone call, which I wasn't going to do because it cost a bomb. <laughs> and, you know, three weeks later, I'd watch the Huskies play the Cal Bears or whatever. Watch the Apple Cup. You know, I never knew. It was, it was over already. Right, you know? right, right, right. Okay, so, you know, slowly what we've seen is, is, and Thomas Friedman writes about this, and, you know, thank you for being late, is these three accelerations, you know, globalization, you know, technology, you know, et cetera, where this is in my working life, not in my life, where I've gone from flipping view graph, which is right. transparencies, to, you know, having a presentation in my pocket where you could throw this up from your phone Absolutely. on a wall and give yep. a presentation. No kidding. And you can add logos and you can change the slides. And, you know, that wasn't, you know, I had a bunch of generic slides that I could change the order, but I couldn't change the slide. Right. Then I had my one blank one in the pen that I could write on. <laughs> you know, this is old school. Right. And so, you know, within that 30 years, we've gone from, you know, that type of very much a face-to-face driven to now... You know, even during the pandemic, Zoom has, oh, you know, proven to be or, or Teams or Google Meets or whatever, right, whatever you use. You use. <clears throat> and the bandwidth is such. Now I can VPN into the U.S. and get on ESPN or I can get onto the uh, WCC channels. Right, watch the eggs. Yeah, watch the eggs. And for me, it's if it's a 7 p.m. game here, it's 10 a.m. for me the next day. No worries. So I just block my schedule, and I'm in front of the TV <laughs> watching the uh, Well, watching I have season boys, tickets, so. so you need to come back and see a uh, game here, Al. I would love to. How do you get back? Let's go. Well, okay. So Kentucky's I one, coming. I, I, have, I just saw that. What today. the heck, man? So I have one thing that I want to start doing every year is I want to go to Vegas for the WCC tournament. Oh, it's a great time. As a... A treat to myself. Yes, you good. Know. You should. No wife, no daughter. Just, just you. I'll meet out. you there. You and I will go. Okay. I'm telling you. All right, swear to God, I'm going to start. I'm going to book it when Let's I do get it. back. I will totally because go. I am so excited. I went every to the Duke season. game down there. It was great. Last every year. Se- every year, whatever happens, and we've been so spoiled. Oh, no, I know we're Ridiculous. bumming. We didn't win the whatever. title. Whatever. But just to get to the Final Four, oh. the Elite Eight, or the Sweet, Sweet Sixteen, so difficult. So difficult. And I totally agree with Mark Few. It's that there's luck involved, there and matchups, and all yeah, kinds absolutely. of stuff. And but what's great about this following the Zags is every year it gets done, and it's like, well, you know, next year we might even be better. <laughs> I know. And we I are. mean, we just lost to Chet Holmgren, and I'm thinking. You know, this this Malachi guy looks like he's a good shooter and we'll be stronger from well, the three point line yeah, they, and you know they lose they lose four guys and they're ranked second preseason. Uh, I mean come it's on. Incredible. It's ridiculous. And so I've been blessed when people used to ask me twenty years ago, what do I meet what do I miss? And I used to say Food and sports. Yeah. So that was the two. So there was always some like you know burger stand or taco zips, or something. Ta- something zips that burger. I would have said I missed. 
But a lot of that's come to Singapore, a lot of those different places. Yeah, sure. But sports has always been. Now, I do have the NFL package, so I, you know, I'm not sure I'll watch a lot of Seahawks. I might <laughs> watch never Denver know. more. You never know. <laughs> I see how Russ does. Russ does. But, uh, you know, once again, I know, cause I in find our you, lifetime, so, for example, Frank, you know, we'll, we'll be connected now on WhatsApp, and that means right. at any time in your evening, you can call me for free if right. we're on Wi-Fi. Right. Okay, I used to stay in hotels where if I phoned my HQ for 20 minutes, that would cost more than my whole stay at the hotel. You know, those long-distance phone, international long-distance could be four or $500. So the world phones. has really gotten Ab- small. Absolutely. Because yeah. I, 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 I talked to you, and I know you've been there for 30 years, and it feels like you, you've been, you know living in southeast you know south perry here i mean it's like you really are still connected it's not that you know once again even when i was in dallas you know i didn't necessarily get to spokane that often so it's geographically i'm much further away but i do think the beauty to the technological accelerations now there are some of the negatives that we've run into in terms of misinformation oh yeah dangerous but if you use the tools as they're designed i mean i use facebook mainly to keep up with your podcast right keep up with friends and family right exactly i don't go there for news i don't talk politics on there i just want to see what my cousins are up to right 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 right. you know and then i might pipe in and every now and again i've been trying to share a photo here yeah yeah thank god i did i think you saw one of my posts i did i'm like he's in spokane (laughs) what the hell i can get out here yeah Uh, really i wouldn't have found you otherwise no and so i've been trying to constantly I, I keep kicking myself because even when I'm in Singapore doing little things like taking a walk, I see something that's a bit different. I think I should have taken a photo of that. You should. You guys might be interested well, in seeing that. I would love that, to see you know? what that world, say, oh, this what that is what world Singapore looks like, looks like today. Right. You know? And you've so, done, through your career, you've had a lot that had to do with technology, right? So you've, gaming stuff, and, and I know I read a, a, a blog of yours where you talk about sort of the, that dot-com bubble bursting and <laughs> yeah. you were right in the middle of it and yeah, the whole yeah. thing blew up all over you. I mean, you've seen the ups and downs of all of this. So I've kind of had a career that's been big company, little company, big, you know, kind of the grass is always greener. So I had a 10-year run with AT&T Lucent. It's pretty and, good. Yeah, and I could have, that could have, I could have, if I would have been more geographically flexible and willing to move to different, you know, mainly back to the U.S., but to Chicago and to New Jersey. I probably could have, you know, created a much longer career there. Now, who knows what would have happened? This is the tragedy of our American business to some degree, but Bell Labs, which was Alexander Graham Bell's labs, is now a French company because Lucent merged with Alcatel and it's part of Alcatel. Now, how we just decide we don't care about a premier research institute right. is a bit beyond me. Right. Kind of goes to maybe how much we're, how much public money we're putting into those research labs. We've kind of just privatized everything. You, you got out of that game. Yeah, and, which, and, and we all know at the end of the day, businesses only will invest to make well, money. And, and, and they're starting to go back to that again. Like, by, you know, that semiconductor stuff that... You have you know, to. They, I mean, there's, there's, there's the viability on the front end of a lot of this technology is not profitable and won't be profitable. No, it's research and development. You have to, right. you have to throw stuff on the wall. Make those investments. If right. you look at fracking, which we, we, we now gush about our natural gas abundance, but that was a Department of Energy investment right. on horizontal drilling and fracking. You right. can't do that unless you know how to horizontally drill. Right. That took decades to develop. Right. And there was no ExxonMobil funding that. Right. Because you know, they're they they want to make money right. much quicker, right. uh, as they should. They're biz- we're businesses, so 
So yeah, so I had my run there, and then I got into gaming, and I was got on with that wow. startup Riot Entertainment. And I always say to entrepreneurs, we we were, you know, we were an early stage mobile focused gaming company. We had a ten year license with New Line Entertainment for Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> wow. We had the Marvel wow. catalog. We gave Marvel a million dollars when Marvel was out of business. Most people don't realize oh that gosh. Marvel was bankrupt. That, in the can late you even night. imagine that now? How. It dominates everything now. Oh, yeah. It's so we basically remarkable. did a deal with Marvel for the mobile rights to the Marvel catalog in the late <coughs> 90s. Wow. When they were, this was pre-X-Men, the, film, the first X-Men film. Gotcha. And they were on their knees at that point. The comic books weren't selling. They hadn't really figured out, you know, what to do with all of these great characters. Right. And so we had all this wonderful content, but we were dealing with these little... Mobile phones that had remember little dot matrix type yes. screens and you know, and so oh, yeah. how do you make a compelling game for Lord of the Rings? You know, you, we didn't Lord have of the, the Rings and that. No. Technology. Well, we ended up doing things like quiz games. You know, you're Frodo and you get the ring. Do you A put it on? B give it back. C you know, you know it's crazy stuff. Um, and so we ended up squandering our money. We we raised twenty million dollars and it had all the promise but i always say to entrepreneurs it's not just your idea it's also your timing right you know when when right. do you, when did you have i mean you know before there was facebook there was friendster and, right and, and yeah. myspace right you know and, but the connectivity and the bandwidth and all it's the all things tiny. that's required to make a social network really work wasn't available right the broadband. in the dial-up days right, right? No. you know so um, so anyway, I had a good run, and then I went to work for THQ for a while, back to the big company. So THQ is a big game publisher, like EA or mm -hmm. Activision. Uh, they fell on hard times mainly because they didn't they didn't see the mobile coming. Mm. They were selling for console, <clears throat> had a lot of console content, and they didn't see two big developments as online yep. and mobile right so those and, are pretty big and so we were all in mobile but in 2001 2000 you know so we basically Timing. we flamed out and we didn't yeah it was everything uh i did write a five-part block series on this because there was some lessons learned but it was all that we had a movie theater in our office in helsinki and a, and a sauna and refrigerators full of beer and right. things you shouldn't have with a startup well, and I was the oldest guy in the company as a 37 years old at that time. Well, so it was like, you, you know, a bunch of 20-year-olds running around with Euro cards and, and beers and refrigerators <laughs> at work. You know, it's probably not a good idea. Although, you know, once again, I now look at what Google and a I mean, lot that's of That's what Facebook was, and I they know, pulled it off. I shut down the breakfast. Mm. Now I feel like a heel because maybe we would have made it if I would have kept the catered breakfast coming. <laughs> So yeah, the anyway, so I've just gone, gone back and forth. And then, you know, I went from there, I went back into kind of tech on the utility side. Uh, iTron was a company that yeah. we used to kind of compete with. Yeah. Uh, I right, worked for a company right called Eclair. Yeah. yeah, and I was shocked to see such a massive global power. Here. here. And I don't think people here realize the impact of that organization. Oh, it's massive. They don't. Yeah. It's massive. So in the in the smart metering space, there's you know four or right. five major players. Itron's the biggest of the big. They wow. own a European division that makes different types of meters. We yep. have those ANSI meters yep. outside. We've, I've done work with them over the years. And there's yep. the ones that go in a box that you'd find in Australia and right. Europe. And, yep. And then there's a the communication. So the company that I worked for had a communication system to communicate. 
uh, and iTron had their own open way. It's called their product. Um, and so they're actually big. Um, they have, I think my meter in Singapore is an iTron meter. That's amazing. Yeah. So a little, uh, not a little, but a spoken. No, they really came and that really came out of, of Vista Washington, Washington Water, Water Power. Power. I did the research started, on it. It's like, started, you know. it started all there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were doing early stuff for iTron. My brother just, I think still does some work for those oh, guys. They're yeah. massive. Yeah. And he's yeah. gone all over the world filming for him and stuff. And, yeah. And, and they and, bought a company in artists. Europe. So they have the whole, IEC style meter, not the right. ANSI meter. Yep. Um, and then, of course, the communication standards, you always run into, you know, um, once again, it's that uh, standard versus metric right. situation. It's very real, right? right? In most parts of the world, it's, oh, a, yeah. it's, it's 50 hertz, not 60 hertz. Right. And, you know, it's not 110, 220, it's 240, you know. Right, we're behind. Well, I, I it's just know. different. It's just different. You know, there's, a, there's logical reasons why it's structured the way it is. And so there's no real right answer. But what iTron has proven, and this is a good lesson for any company that wants to go outside their home market, is you need to have that flexibility to say, okay, just because we're successful here, wherever your home base is, doesn't necessarily mean that'll translate exactly. And it could be very specification, uh, specification driven in terms of we need to meet another spec gotcha or it could just be cultural how it's positioned you know who buys it it could be a channel issue in some markets they don't buy from the manufacturer they only buy from a wholesaler or distributor you know someone so now you you really are you act mostly as a consultant so i have a company you are a connected dude if you've been in southeast asia for asia pacific for 30 years so we started i have a business partner and i started a company it's a it is kind of a consultancy but it's very tactical so we do sales so rather than just saying you know like a lot of consultants say well you know let's go through a remit and a scope and we'll do the research and write a report and hand it to you thank you uh we actually carry our clients cards and have an email id and and represent them go sell and so most of our clients are mid-tier if they're big they already have offices they've hired people and they're usually arrogant enough to think they don't need us well and that that kind of leads to this right this is, is that what yeah, this is yeah. about this so, book of yours yeah question shut up and sell was uh i put you together a photo of you I mean, a little sales fantastic. training program but just based on things that i picked up over the years in my sales and i thought uh you know, it'd be good just to get that into kind of a, a, a guidebook that sales guy could have with them. So when I do my training, and, and we offer this to our clients as kind of, you know, part of the deal, we'll help mentor your young salespeople. And I walk them through this philosophy of, you know, once again, I always say a sales guy, we're a purveyor of information. So, you know, we're, it's not yes, sir, yes, sir, what can I, it's, it's understanding a customer need do they right. do they have and when knowledge? to share what you you have that they don't right and to always be mindful that they are you you know you give to get and they're getting from you you know so i've run into a lot of sales oh, i'm just a sales guy you know what no you're you're like a consultant you have knowledge i used to get meetings exactly with people right. who just wanted to learn what 
other companies in other markets were doing. Right. I knew they weren't even trying to buy from me. They were right. just trying to get information. Right. And that's okay to some degree as long as I get something back. Right. Yeah, I'll give you that, but I got to get, meaning I got an op- I need an opportunity to quote to you or I need an opportunity to meet your to boss. To meet somebody here, yeah. To meet someone else in your organization. <clears throat> and so, yeah, question, shut up, is and it, sell. Is this really based around work in Asia Pacific or is this kind of No, like, it's, it's really, just, I just think... Just your, your, your lifetime of... My lifetime of just little tidbits that I picked up. I tried to put at, in each chapter a little bit of a real world story. And there, most awesome. of them are, are Asian related. Although some of them are maybe a little cultural. One, one is the shut up part of question, shut up and sell. Because most sales guys are not very good at the shut up part. <laughs> they want to talk about their, their, their yeah. Chris Farley and Tommy Boy. They want to talk about their <laughs> thing. <laughs> they mess it up. Just Uh, shut up and listen a little bit. Right. So one of the the stories I give is I used to do a lot of work in Japan and and with Fujitsu and and, and some of the big companies there, NEC. And what I noticed is the Japanese were very good at using silence. You know, they would go, hmm, oh, no. And they would just... Wait. Think, you know, I think a lot of it they're thinking, and obviously there's language issues right but a lot of it is just leaving it silent so the stupid foreigner rushes to fill in the silence right 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 so so i think one of the questions i had too just about this is is um you know when when you're because i sell and i don't really even realize i'm doing it like like a big part of my job is selling that's the good best way to sell but i'm like i don't really i'm a you know i'm a storyteller that's really what i do but people come to me to to know what that is and you know, we do sell. I mean, we, right. you know, that's how we stay in business. You have to do it. But I've never felt like I've been, you know, selling. <laughs> I don't know. I always feel like I'm just sort of helping to solve problems. Well, I think that's the essence. So if you, as you flip through the book, you know, there's a few things that I would suggest before meetings. There's a whole section about just preparing for the meeting, mm. you know. So uh, a lot of sales guys rush up. They're maybe run, you know, kind of right on time. And I always say, no, get there 20 minutes early. Even if you're just sitting in your car or outside, get your breath, get your wits about you. you kind of make a plan. You know, what's, the, what's your best outcome? What's your minimum outcome? You know, because some meetings are in different stages. It could be a first meeting, exploratory. You might have very different goals for that meeting versus with an existing client or someone that you've talked to a number of times. So there's kind of that kind of goal setting. And then, you know, I think you're probably doing exactly what I would advise salespeople to do just because it makes sense to you. But you probably go in and you say, can I, you know, can I ask you a couple questions? That's right. Yeah. And that's what I tell my sales guy. Do not get out the computer. Do not start flipping view graph. No. I mean, if this guy is, is overconfident in his current solution, the worst thing we can do is try to sell to him. Right. If there's someone's overconfident, you just want to get him a drink and wait. Right. And so in the book, I describe different states of minds that customers can be in. One state's overconfident. You right. cannot sell to an overconfident customer. Right. As a matter of fact, it's hard to even get a meeting with an overconfident customer because right. they think, you know. They know everything. They know everything. That's right. Okay. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have emergency. Oh, my God, something's happened. I'll pay anything. Yeah, okay. right. So right, right, that right, happens. Right, right, Not right, often. Right. I always the, say The first that, case is engineers and doctors. They're all, they're all the smartest guys. <laughs> that, that's the right. And, and they actually are. Well, they're smart, maybe on some in some but areas. But not in what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it is just figuring out where their heads are, but you can't get that without asking questions. So right. I think your good sales guys are doing probably what you're doing, 
is saying, can I ask you some questions? Most people say yes, unless they're a good buyer. I've run into some purchasing people that go, no, I don't want to answer your questions. I want you to tell me about your product. Gotcha. Because, th- you know, they're all they're, about getting this, the quote. They've seen this movie. Well, yeah. they're Yeah. Because they're, uh, I, I remember one time I did, I was just, a lot of what happens is I run, I run into people um, and, uh, and, you know, what, um, a guy in town that we've kind of known his family. I won't say who it is, but I just remember saying, what's your biggest problem right now? Right. You know, and he's the CEO of a pretty big company. And he's just, man, you know, I, I've got, I've got a lot of PhDs that are spending a bunch of time kind of troubleshooting. Right. You know, rather than an innovating. Right. And, you know, we were able to create content for them that eliminated the problem with them troubleshooting because they could just send, you know, we filmed a video, they sent a link, they watched, you know, people watched it and then didn't have to call them back. Right. Because you wouldn't believe how much time that freed up for us. Right. And I wasn't even trying to sell anything. I was just really curious, like, what's your biggest problem? Right. And I think so it's a great question a great, to ask clients. So in the book, there's a section on questions. So there's bad questions. So I'll, in the seminar, I always throw it out. Hey, how about we whiteboard some questions? And, you know, people say, well, do you want to do business with me? It's a horrible question. It's a yes, no question. Right. Right? Say no, yes. <laughs> you learn nothing. <laughs> Done. You know, so you need some, you need to think of those bigger open-ended, like, you know, you know, what keeps you up at night right. is one that you'll yeah, hear a sure, lot. Yeah. And then you can revise on the classics, but, you know, as, uh, you know, what is, uh, you know, what, what in your current approach, is, approach may cause you some concern. Right. Okay, that's open-ended. The guy can't say yes or no. Right. He's got to articulate something. He's got to say something, yeah. Then when I say to the guys, it's just shut up. So let him just go, he or she go as long as they'll go. Because the more they talk, the more you, we learn. That's right. Just take notes. Yeah. You know? And, and, then and if to help you've solve got, their problem. Right. And if, if they, obviously, they'll like start identifying problems, and then you have to decide, can we fix that? And if you can't, don't, you know, you can't, you know, jam that, you know, square peg into a round hole. Right. Sometimes you just say, you know what, I, I can't help you with that. I know another company. But I know somebody that can. Right. Or, you know, this is what we could do. Which is Maybe you reposition it a little bit and say, well, we can't do that, but we could do this, and that might help. Right. Uh, but the point is, is the goodwill in that relationship that you're probably building by asking, you know, because people love to talk about their problems. It's true. You know, it's and true. so a lot of times it's, it's like, you're their therapist. It's kind of... <laughs> Tell me about your problems. <laughs> Have another drink. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, once again, I think then you be, you, that, that becomes a relationship. The bartender of me, the old bartender it, it, of me comes absolutely. out. Absolutely. So you're probably, as you go through the handbook, and I tried to make it super cool. thin totally and easy to read. This. And you there's, signed it. Yeah, there's I a mean, couple of blank nice. pages at the back I left so that you can, you can write, write new yeah. questions That's down. That's good, yeah. Because as you do it, you find new ones. Yeah, for sure. Where you go, oh, you know, that one worked really well. Yeah, I want to yeah. remember that yeah, one. Yeah. And, just, right. I was, no, and just throw it in your bag. And then before your meeting, you, just, you might put some stickies in there on certain areas that... Re- prompt you to right. think it through but i think if you take a bit more of a sy- systemic approach to your meetings you'll find you're more effective more productive and that's been a big key for you absolutely i mean i had this training 20 years ago i never forget this guy he's a cuban-american guy from miami and he had this heavy accent and he added his you know personal wings he was saying winds but it sounded like wings <laughs> <laughs> and uh he was just a, a character and IBM sales guys so it was like a sales guy teaching sales guys and I just mopped it up and and unfortunately it was I was a good chunk into my AT&T career I was like damn I should have had that five years ago yeah 
And I just carried that with me for many years, and then I started giving it to my team, and then I put it together into a, a present, a kind of a, I've got like a little two-hour presentation. I've got a half-day and a full-day seminar That's that cool. I can do. So you do that? Yeah, if, and mainly for clients. We haven't made a ton. Of, we haven't really monetized that much, but we've always thought about, you know, and then I figured I should get that in a book because at least at the end of it, I can go, and here's the book. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's a takeaway. Yeah, so it's on Amazon, and, you know, so you can buy it. I do get some royalties now and again. Oh, but look at you. But I, I enjoy giving it away to people like you, Frank, that well, I that's think would appreciate it. I do appreciate it. I really do. Um, uh, how, how's America seen over there right now? I guess it's really I think a, that's people a changing, are a bit, yeah. changing question depending on the countries right. I understand, but generally... I think in Asia, or at least where I am, my area, sphere. which is, you know, I have Southeast Asia and A and Z. I do get to Australia once a quarter. Um, I think people are just a little confused, you know, because what we've kind of seen the, over the last few administrations is just wildly different policy swings when it comes to the foreign posture, which was not the case. I mean, whether it was a Democratic or Republican, Republican administration, it, there was some consistency to how... At least overseas. How America viewed the foreign policy. So, you know, I think we <clears throat> we were the architect, most people forget, of, you know, the UN, the, the World Bank, the IMF. These were all American creations after the world went through three devastating world wars That's within right. 30 years of each other. Like right. not, not in a lifetime, but 30 years. Yeah, three. We, world War that. Two and I mean, World, world, world War One, World War Two, and Korea. Uh, yeah, Korea came. Yeah, well, Korea was. Now you might say Korea is more of a regional conflict, mm -hmm. but it was significant. Not for the United States, um, it wasn't. But once again, a lot of this structure, this kind of Vietnam, world order, sure. yeah. we put together uh, because we wanted peace, and it worked. There hasn't been a world war of the scale of World War II in, you know, 70, 80 years now. Right, right, right. And, uh, and that's been a constant. America has always championed that. We put money into it. We, I think our feeling was, well, better pay a little now than a lot later. That's right. As if we have to go do that again, right. it's a bomb. The, the diplomatic channels are open. You've right. created that conversation. And so the world has gotten used to that. And then that gave countries like Singapore. I mean, Singapore is a city-state of six million people. If we don't live in a world, in a rule, rules-based world, Singapore is in big trouble. I mean, Indonesia to the south has got 300, 280 million people. Right. It's, it's a huge country. Crazy. It's the most populous Muslim country in the world. Most right. people wouldn't guess. Right. And I bet you couldn't guess number two. I always ask people this. United After States. Indonesia, <laughs> no, number two is actually uh, yeah. India. India. I was number say India. yeah, India. It's a good guess because yeah. a lot They're of them moved to Pakistan, right. but many didn't. Right. And number three is China. Wow. You know. So once again, we think we think of Islam and we think of Saudi Arabia and the Middle That's East, right. but there's many many Muslims in Southeast Asia, right. and, and that version of Islam is is not the Wahhabiest. It's know, a very kind of, different, version. very very different flavor, very different you know, um, approach to, to that, their, how they practice their religion. But, you know, Singapore thrives on this rules-based trading, open. Right. You know, it, it, it requires it. Absolutely. Wow. The survival of that country is wow. in banking and in lawyering and professional So services. what would you want to have happen? Well, if, I just... Because Al got to be king. <clears throat> 
Well, I just think we need to, so I, I think it's people are easy to, one, just jump to conclusions that aren't always correct and, and, and then not look at the big picture. It's, in anything that we, we view, it's always, it's never, it's always compared to what? You know, so we've lived a life. I've never had to fight in a war. Right. I, you know, I've Me never either. had to join the military. That's right. I never had to risk my life. Right. Um, that's not, that's exceptional. Right. That, that's, that's, that's rare. That, that's rare. Right. Democracy right. is rare. If you look at the arc of civilization, not many people live in a place where you vote Correct. and you peacefully decide get a new leader right okay that's not how it happened in the arc of history usually there was a king or you know a dictator or right, right. if the one guy lost if someone lost and didn't like to lose they would take up arms and not try not to lose right. you know and so you know i know sometimes it's just people think oh this is the worst time ever we're we're on the wrong track i always see these polls where america says we're on the wrong track but then I look at economic indicators are always like really strong. I know. And there's lots of jobs. I know. I come to America. Now, you know, look, America, I definitely see a, a few issues, you know, especially around capitalism. I think yawning gaps between rich and poor is not good. Uh, that needs it's to be healthy. remedied. Not healthy. When I when we were it's in not, school, I mean, younger. Spoken, I mean, the, the homeless population here. When we're, we were in school, like we knew some people were wealthier, but. They didn't, we, act, they didn't act. They didn't act that act way. Like they, didn't, they didn't shove it in our faces. That's right. Right. You know, it was. I was middle class kid. And mom was a librarian. Dad was a school yeah, teacher. Yeah, me, me too. We were. We, the, just, yeah. we did okay. Right. We were fine. We went to Gonzaga Prep, which was a hugely advantage, yeah, advantageous. Yeah, big opportunity. Thing. Yeah. But um, I do think, you know, I joke a little bit about my generation. So born in '64. You know, we went to a movie at some point, and the, a character stood up and said, "Greed is good," and we didn't get it that he was the villain. We thought he was the hero. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, from that point forward, I kind of look at even my career a little bit. And when I look back at that factory yeah, in Michael Texas Douglas. that doesn't exist anymore, it doesn't exist because we would have been on a, I think, forty-year. I'd go back to nineteen eighty, maybe late seventies, eighties. So say eighties, nineties. So we've been on 40, 50 year old, me, me, money, money, me, me, money, yeah. money. Me. That's the mindset. Then the more, the better. And so somehow a banker can make thousands of times the average salaries of their employees and still believe that he's worth it. Right. And look in a camera and say, I'm worth it. Right. I'm a master of the universe. Right. And I, I don't know. It's not sustainable. I don't think it, and it, I don't think it's really that true. That's right. You know, like if that banker, if that executive wasn't there, would the company necessarily collapse? You know, I'm guessing there's probably other other guys <laughs> that could step up there. Of course. And, you know, do a good job, and so, so yeah, definitely in that environment, then people feel lost, and especially when good jobs leave, and yeah. that's. Look, the, the reality of, of globalization and w needed to be explained, and, and I see it more clearly now looking back, is it, it's lifted billions of people out of poverty. There's, I mean, globalization's done wonders globally, but there are winners and losers. Yeah. And, the, and sometimes the losers are in your country or in your neighborhood or in your city. Yeah. And what does that do to that city? Right. That's what we're dealing with it in this town right, right now. And how I mean, do you've, you, you've probably noticed it. 
a bit, but I'm, you know, it hasn't been as as bad as I thought it could have been or would have been. So maybe I just haven't. I've been mainly in the downtown. Yeah, area. you haven't seen it. There's a city. I know. Of, there's uh, a tent area. Yeah, six hundred people. Yeah. I mean, that's bigger than the town. And that's of, something know, bigger I than, mean, than the town of of uh, Oaksdale. Yeah. <laughs> there's no. more people out there right now. And we need to come to. We're the richest. country. That's never been a case. We're the me. richest country in the world. There's there, we got to no do. Excuse for we've got to do better than that. And I'm not saying it's just, you know, you tax and you give. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily have all the answers. I have some ideas. Um, you know, one idea that I have would bind this country is national service. You know, when I was 18 years That's old, right. if I had said, no, for two years, you're going to be in City Corps. And That's we're, right. we're going to send you to Mississippi so to work for two years. Right. I would have actually gotten to know a whole raft of Americans that I had no That's connection right. to. That's right. And, and I'd have more empathy and I'd have more understanding of, you know, I mean, we grew up, I, I don't know, uh, in Spokane, when we grew up, I think I knew five African-American kids. Exactly. You know, one kid on my soccer team, uh, one of our neighbors was in the Air Force. Right. And Mark Thomas at G. Pratt. Yeah. And, you know, like right. a handful. Chip yeah. Anderson. I mean, yeah. right. And so, you know, kind of some of my prejudices that were in in there somewhere were more of ignorance than anything. Exactly I just had right. no idea. No closure, yeah. And so once again, if you move people around, I see this in Singapore, every Singaporean male, they don't do it for the women like Israel does, but every male in Singapore, resident or citizen, so even if you're a resident, at 18 mm -hmm. you do two years of national service. Wow. And if you talk to a Singaporean, you go, okay, who do you play golf with? Who are you? They always say, oh, my army buddies. They never say they're their school friend. Right. They never say they work, but it's the army. Because they were in the jungles of somewhere crawling on the ground. that was the time where they were forged, really, as people. And I, I thought yeah. that's a really good idea because we've been wrestling with this whole homeless problem. And we went to Houston, filmed a documentary that we're, we pushed out called Housing and Help. Mm. That you can find it housing and help. I really want you to see it. We just finished the first part, and nice. we're in the middle of making the second one here in a couple of weeks. It'll come out, and it's it's taking a really strong look at what's going on here in Spokane. Because when we were kids, we never saw a homeless no. problem at all, and a lot oh, of that gosh. is that safety net you're talking about, where yeah. the families just aren't there to support you, and housing costs have you know gone up seventy two percent in three years, and people can't pay the rent, and right. they end up at a tent city of six hundred people, which is kind of unheard of in the time that we've had there and I thought well, we went to Houston right. and chronicled this and met all the key people in Houston that have turned their problem around they're the, they're the lowest popula uh, population of homeless people in America wow. from any major okay, city I didn't know that. yeah and, and New York Times just did a big piece on it we filmed it the day after they were there met all wow. the key, key people so that's coming up in, as part of our series and what, what I really learned from that was what they're doing is they're, they're finding housing for people but they're also finding help along with it and not just help but a navigator They're, they have a person who is assigned to you al and and 20 other people and how can i get you in, off the street into housing and get you the services you need they've got a dedicated person that's that's kind of a champion for you what a better way to use national service yeah well <laughs> than, than just... to train people like that because yeah. we're really missing there and we're missing a lot in the mental health area behavioral health is a problem like there's a lot that we could do here at home yeah. and that kind of Peace Corps idea. I think well, it's there's brilliant. so much that once again, I always say to when people ask me about politics, it's like, it's not a bumper sticker, big problems. I can't explain it in one line. 
or I have, you know, there's many different facets to it. Mental health is a big issue, but mental health is a big issue in many countries in the world. So, you know, they just have different ways to intervene, whether that's through a family or it's through, you know, a system that identifies. Right, either the system has helped them or or they've got a a culture where the the family is is, is watching out for them. The safety nets are stronger. And then, you know, some countries still have maybe the draconian, you know, let's lock people up or commit people, which is something that we probably wouldn't want to do. So it's a combination of a bunch of things. It is. That's what Jesus did. I mean, the first thing is, is you have to bind the country together. That means we all need to be in this together. And so what makes me nervous about being in Singapore and watching America from afar is everything just seems to be a fight. I mean, everything, you everything. know, it's like, you know, and I, and everything I, just becomes politicized. So, you know, when people, ask, I mean, it was, I don't remember it being that way. I mean, I, I mean, there used to be, you know, like, I'm a kind of a weird guy because I grew up in a very democratic leaning house with a teacher and a librarian and unions and whatnot. And, but I'm a businessman. So I spent many right. parts of my year thinking a little bit more right. free trade. Yep. Uh, a lot more lower I tax. Think you and I have a lot of the same. Common, so that's yeah. kind of you know low regulation. I'm sure as you set yeah. up businesses, yeah. you run into red tape, and you're yeah. like, oh no, no wonder we can't Why? get anything done. Right. Um, and now I'm kind of coming around a little bit to well, wait a minute. You know, with with no regulation, you know, I mean, you know, if you don't regulate the banks at all, if we just let them have dark pools of money and derivatives, yeah. and right. we know what's going to happen. Collapse. Yeah, we're going to have to stump up the money again. To, exactly right. So, so the answers are, are, but I just look at like small things, like one thing, like I, I'm really a proponent of national service because I just, I think in my, you just thinking of myself, I would have thrived in that. I would have learned so much and I learned much of that. I learned in Asia later. Right. But there's so much of that in America I could have learned, you know, because now I'm watching programs. and, And the need's huge. Yeah, yeah, and, and and there's many things that other people could learn from us. There's, Spokane's a great place. It is a great place. Yeah, and there's a lot of, a lot of great things happening here. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, once again, there's that, that trade-off. And then, and then, yeah, I guess, you know, I worry a lot about, you know, the opioid crisis is, yeah. has been tragic and somewhat predictable. It's a little bit of me, me, money, money, me, me, That's money, exactly money. Right. You know, I've read enough about some of these pharmaceutical companies to know that they knew. They, they continued, you know, to push to benefit and to make money. Sorry. And uh, that, you know, that's where you need. We need some regulation. That's I mean, right. That's crazy. Or just some ethical. Well, mess. we would hope. We, but I think what's happened when 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 you go down the greed is good path, you know, because I've asked. This is a great question. I'll ask you this one. I've asked many of my friends these days that are involved in cryptocurrency. So. If you understand crypto a bit in the blockchain, you probably realize that of the hundreds of cryptocurrencies out there, most of them are a Ponzi scheme. Hmm. They're, they're never going to lead to a, a useful use case. Right. Some will, but most won't. So my question, my friends, is not is it legal, because I'm tired of that, it's not illegal as the answer. Is it ethical? Is it right? Is it right to invest in a Ponzi scheme if you know it's a Ponzi scheme? No. And I agree. No, it's not. And so we know, or I know, that there probably, or I would guess, I shouldn't say I know for a fact, but I would guess that there were 
more than a few sophisticated investors in Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme that knew damn good and well it was a Ponzi scheme yep. because you just can't have the kind of consistent returns year over year that he was showing. Right. But they just knew if I stay in here, once I double my money, I sell half, the rest is gravy, and it's, I'm not, I'm not going to be the last person without a seat. You're, right, yeah. You'll be, yes. you'll be off the boat it's, by then. It's going to be some Somebody. old lady that does it, or old guy, that retiree That's that exactly believes right. in Bernie. Like, like, your, like your dad. And your mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really? Somebody like that. And so I have two two answers to that. And I'm talking to sophisticated, you know, bank, fintech guys. I either get, well, it's not illegal. So, yeah, it's fine. And, you know, you're just smart. You're smarter than everyone else. And then I, I'd say actually the bulk go that way. And I get a few wow. like you that immediately say, no, that's not right. No, it's just not right. And then I believe that it's not right. right. And you should call it's, it That out. should be an easy answer. It should. <laughs> Just but I think now, it. you know, once again, it's, it's you know, the veneration of money. Has know, allowed even the veneration of entrepreneurs. I'm tired of just, you know, we put entrepreneurs on pedestals all the time. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, they have ideas. But some of those companies don't generate the so, jobs. So this is a great question to lead to this. My daughter is a senior, going to be a senior at University of Washington, your right. alma mater, so, right? Mind, yeah. She's kind of following a path very similar. Her, uh, it's a brand new program, brand new uh, major there called uh, uh, Anthropology of Globalization. Wow. Okay. Yeah, very cool. And a lot of it's business and marketing and kind of down that path. What, what advice do you give her? What do you tell her now at 21? <laughs> she's going to embark on this kind of career. What, what, is, you know, what would you say she should look for and look, look out for? Oh, well, yeah. So it's, it's a, this is a global view. So I would say get out there as much as you can. Yeah. So the first, you know, the first thing is you know, be that curious traveler. You know, because she won't have a problem there. Yeah, and, she's going to Rome. <laughs> and just you know, everywhere you go, you know, just be. I think the more the more curious you can be about even little things, because those all those little things tell you something about the way that place works. So even if you go to Europe and you see a lot, a lot of small cafes, then you know there, there's a small family business mindset, mm -hmm. and you know, then I would be curious: is that historical? Why is that? Right. It might have to do with zoning, or it might have to do with uh, land ownership, or you know, obviously uh, the, the uh, land in certain spots. You know, in terms of good positioning, um, you know, if it's entrepreneurial. Uh, when I was in Finland, I was I spent some time in Finland way back on that uh, one of the startups I worked for, and the Finns. Now, this is most people would think of Finland and Sweden. You know, that's a socialist countries. You know, it's, right. it's free education right. through college. 50, yeah, fifty percent of their. You know, taxes you have a baby, you get you know the, both medicine. Uh, and both of you get you know five months of time off, parent leave, and then right. there's daycare, and it's right. all free. Right. And actually, one of the best. Th uh, they're, the funniest, they're the happiest country of, in the world. One of the funniest things I got was uh, the way they do speeding tickets. I think it's in Finland. They don't they don't charge you by how fast you're going. They charge you by how much money you make. Interesting. So if you're driving 200 miles an hour and you're modest, you get the $200 fine. But there's a guy that got $20,000 fine. Because he, because he, he, makes a million, he makes a lot of money. Oh, that's, 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 kind of, there's, that's a good deterrent. <laughs> kind of makes sense, that makes right? Because, yeah. you know, a $200 fine for the millionaire is 
it's, well, and it'll it's the cost of driving. The, <laughs> the college kid, yeah. <laughs> right. right. So, you know, once again, but I found what was funny there is they had this kind of entrepreneurial, you know, maybe it was Nokia. I don't know exactly wh- it, where it came from. Huh. Certainly there's something about the outdoors and Lapland surviving in, the, sure. in this crazy yeah. dark. Do you, think, do you think this is a good time? A good, a good road for her? Do you think that this is a good time, especially as an American going back yeah, out there? Yeah, yeah, I, I think she'll get it. I mean, look, Americans, for all of our faults and all of the difficulties, we're, we're still a beloved place. Everybody wants to go to America, at least to visit. Many people want to live in America. So I don't think she'll have any problem as an American. My only concern will be is it'll be interesting to see how globalization evolves in the next, say, 20 years. You know, do we onshore more? You know, the, the, the supply chain has shown to be quite fragile in the pandemic, oh, and it boy. still it, is. It's really bad. And it took, us, it took us 30, and I was part of that. That'd be part of my, you know, Spokane to Singapore story of how, you know, we used to source for that factory in Mesquite rather locally. And then over time, you know, parts started coming in from other places, and then factories started moving. To the point where, you know, when I look at an Apple iPhone, where is it made? I mean, to me, it's almost a nonsensical discussion, right? Because the screens are from South Korea. Many of the chips are from America. All the IP is from California. It's assembled in China using a, a smattering of Chinese and that Southeast Asian. highly people. inefficient. Uh, well... I think the blend of the labor rates and the and the cost of, of the sourcing actually makes it makes if everything runs smoothly, it works. Yeah. Then it's actually yields a lower cost product. Got it. You know, and that's something that we as consumers need to pay more attention to. You know, look at the label. If if you don't like China, don't buy that cheap T-shirt. But you can't not. That's, well, you can find Malaysian <laughs> or you yeah, can find yeah. Honduran or, you know, it's going to come from somewhere probably. Right, yeah, and yeah. if it comes from America, it's going to be a lot more expensive. Okay, um, last couple of questions here. Um, yeah. Uh, best food you've ever had in your journeys? Where's, where's, where is the spot? Where is it? I've, I have a soft spot in my heart for Korean food. So I love kimchi. It, take, it took me a it's while when I moved deal. there. Yeah. But once my you, once you get it. I love it, and I can just eat. It. And by the way, there's there's hundreds of different types of kimchi. Right, right, there's right, right. beichu kimchi with a cabbage kimchi and radish kimchi, right. bean kimchi. Any type of a vegetable could be put into that. Wow! You know, and wow. they used to bury it in pots. Right. So you took the cabbage and you put in the red pepper, and in the winter they would bury the pot under the ground right. in the fall, right. and it would sit all winter Ferment. fermenting. Wow! And then in the spring. Voila, you had the, and the, these, these, you know, were huge, huge bats. bats. Wow. And, and so I'm very soft spot for, for, for Korean. I, I, and Japanese food, I'm very keen on. So, Be- best uh, beach, best vacation, best oh uh, place yeah. you'd, you'd like, where should I go travel? If well, I'm, okay, if you're a beach guy, I think I, there's some great beaches in the Philippines, there's 7,000 islands. So, Siargo is one of the more prominent ones now there's one called boracay that used to be the creme de la creme it's like two miles of just white sand beach it's crushed coral it's not sand so it doesn't get hot and you could walk out a hundred yards and you know just clear water wow Um, but you know bali is yeah you know hard to argue against and i'm very partial to thailand so in thailand you have Koh Samui and phuket pp islands 
the thing about Thailand I love is there's very smiley. It's just the culture there is so kind of happy. Happy. It's, yeah. a, it's a happy place. Well, that's a good place. It's yeah, your happy yeah. place. That's Al's happy place. It is. I love it there. <laughs> Although it, it, the language is, I don't speak any Thai. And even the Thais that speak English, they have a very tonal language. So even in English, you have to really kind of listen carefully. So how, how many languages do you speak? Uh, really just English. I, I speak a little bit of Japanese, a little bit of Korean from my Korean days. Well, but, enough to be dangerous. Yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> I, I can't say, you know, like my daughter's quite fluent in Mandarin. And so when you, if you start, if you're going to speak a language well, I would recommend to parents start them when they're like three years old. So start, start get, now. Them, get them yeah. around somebody that will that's speak speaking, to them yeah. sure. regularly in that language. Because yeah. it opens a part of the mind, and I've known people like this that learned another language as a little, little kid, and now they can pick up languages. Like, as, any as, language, yeah, more. Really, I yeah, have yeah. a buddy of mine, he's in Japan now, he speaks Japanese dead fluently. Wow. But he speaks French, he speaks a little bit of German and wow. pretty passable Spanish. Wow. And he... Learn Japanese wow, like that. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Best drink. Who's got the best oh, drink over there? Best drink. I'm kind of a beer guy, but there's good beers all over. Uh, I think Singapore, the Singapore sling is quite famous. You know, kind of a British concocted, very sweet, fruity drink. Um, that's kind of you. Sweet, yeah. sweet and fruity. Look at that shirt. So you're not gonna you're not gonna go wrong at any of the resorts, <laughs> but you know they're gonna have the pina coladas and the sure. you know the standard yeah, yeah, fare. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then then beers. There's you know local brands. Tiger's kind of the beer of Singapore. Uh, but you've got Singa. What, what do you think of this? The Amador. This is nice. Yeah. You, you have Amador. Been? Amador. Yeah. 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 Is it, but, but, yeah. Napa. Okay. Where's it from? Is it from Napa? Okay. Yeah. Aged in uh, oak barrels. You know. Yeah, yeah, solid. Al approves. I'm I'm. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, we just a wide shot. Yeah, right, wide shot. That's fine. Yeah. No, we're. I mean, we're almost. Yeah, there. we're almost. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. No that's cool. Um, the coming back to Gonzaga Prep, right? This is a, a unique place. Do you feel like an, there's an impact from that? Oh, absolutely. It's so. an incredible <clears throat> kind of network. It's just a communal. I mean, I, even now when I think back, it's just, there's always just a positive vibe. You know, I remember Father Ted Kessler, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, Father Jerry, and, you know, even some of the t John Walk. Father Jerry Chapdelaine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and even, uh, even some of the teachers like, you know, John Walk and, and uh, Al Faulkner. Yeah, know, Al, English. absolutely. And so what I like about it is there seemed to always be some continuity. You know, I think Cindy Riopal's the She's principal. Yeah, no, she taught, when I, she taught me. Yeah, yeah, so it's just, it's great to see. Tradition. Yeah, people don't just, you know, people come there and they stay a long time. Your mom stayed there forever. Yeah, and, and I think that builds a, a certain amount of continuity. I love the fair share approach. I think that's yep. offered probably a lot of people. But I think it saved the place. That, that wouldn't have been able to go to go. Right. Because I've um, always felt like there is a, a real sense of um, not pretension there. You know, like we weren't the rich kids. You know? Right. And I've never felt like I didn't belong. You know, always. Yeah, I never felt. Now, once again, I have, you know, and I have all, always say to people, like, it's easy, you know, to say, well, I'm not really privileged. I work for everything we have. And everyone has to whatever degrees. 
But you know, once again, to be able to go to a private school, that that is the, a, inherently that's a, a step up. That's exactly. a, a small it's an advantage. advantage. It is an advantage. You know, it could be, how you, you, big don't, you don't have to take advantage of it, but it is an opportunity. Right, exactly. And so, but I do agree. When I was there, so once again, I my dad's a high junior high school teacher, coach, mom's a librarian. Right. You know, so it was a sacrifice for them Absolutely. to pay for the three of us yes. to go there, oh, yeah. especially right yeah. consecutively. Oh, my parents, eight you kids, know. man. Yeah. <laughs> Through that's private a big, that's a big one. Big one. Yeah. And so, but I never felt like I didn't belong. And, you know, we kind of knew, okay, well, they, based on where we lived or whatever. Yeah. But I don't really remember, like, certain cars or certain people dressing that no. differently or, you know. No. And so it wasn't. I hope. I I don't know whether that's changed. Obviously, a lot. I think societally has changed. Sure. Because our, you know, our parents came from that. You know, greatest generation. Get to work. You know, absolutely. Just go get the job. Get something done. The next thing in front of you. Right, and and they weren't. You know, it was, and it was very much of making, helping your kids do better than you. Than you did. Yeah. And and so. Um, I hope that hasn't changed. I'm on the newsletter. I go on the website now and again. I get the feeling that I would like it even today, that yeah, it still it's, has it's, that yeah, feel. Well, it seems like it's a bit more diverse today, yeah, which I yes. think is good. I think Spokane's more diverse. Is, yeah. uh, I personally am a big but... fan of that because, you know, I, I mean, I live in a society where I'm, I'm, in my, I'm a minority. You're the minority, yeah. Yeah, and, and I do feel like good ideas come from a different viewpoints, you know? So if we all just think the same way, you right. know, we're probably not going to get, we're to, doomed. Well, 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 maybe not doomed, but we wouldn't get to the best outcome right. necessarily, right, 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 right. you know? And plus I always joke with my friends say, Oh, well, you know, there's a lot more immigrants moving in or whatever. You go, well, at least the food's better. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to eat Taco Bell. You're going to get real Mexican food. <laughs> You know, when, when it's the, true, man. When the sushi chef is actually from Japan and he knows how to cut the fish, <laughs> you, to, you know you're you going to enjoy the, the sashimi. You know? So when are you going to have your your podcast? Like, you got to do uh, this, man. Well, I know. And you, 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 uh, this is going to motivate me, Frank. Cause I'm inspiring I, you, I, finally. You, you, well, inspire you will me. reverse inspire me. There you go. Sometimes I do feel like I see certain things or you just I'm on a trip somewhere. Or if I'm business meeting or whatever. I think, man, this would be kind of might be interesting for somebody to hear Absolutely. about this, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So, I think last question. I'm inspired. Most interesting person you've ever met? Oh, most interesting person. Okay, so any walk of life. You've traveled. All, I mean, you've been everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, different mentors. I think, you know, my dad was very interesting because he was... A messed up man in many ways, but very motivational and very, you know, he was a team builder. He was. Um, Obviously, my mom was quite an inspiration. Uh, But in in the business realm, I had had one guy at Lucent that kind of took me under his wing. He ended up being quite a high executive at uh, Avaya. Uh, Not not the energy, uh, not Avista, Avaya Telecom Company. but uh, Steve just had a way of, of a lot of the tips actually came through him, you know, just little things of, you know, how do you think about these relationships? Mm-hmm. You know, he was big on like, never give, always give to get. Yeah. And, and I be, had be one, a giver, not a taker. 
Well, but always give, but always try to get back. Oh, sure. You know? yeah. And so even if you were like closing okay. a deal and you wanted to like give a final discount to close that, and I had a big $10 million deal where I did that, and he like questioned me later, and I'm like, well, we, I got the $10 million deal. I mean, we Come should on, be. We should, where's the champagne? He's like, you know, but at the end, you gave him that little discount, which it, it was within my authority to do that. But for that, he said, you could have gotten another meeting. You could have gotten something for that to say to that say you know so you know over my career i've been a little bit lucky in that you know between steve and then another guy bill bill yates was another mentor you know just just being in meetings with them when you're with somebody that's definitely more experienced than you learn like the quiet i've yeah. been in some uh, ceo type meetings i was in one very high level meeting with the ge guys and the chairman of of uh the uh, power company in in Japan. Wow! And it's so funny with those guys because they never talk about their businesses. They always ask questions, and it's like a question competition. Well, that is such a that is such a that's such good advice. They just start right from the beginning. Well, how's your year going? Your how is the quarter? You know, how hey that power plant we worked on two years is that up? Has that been commissioned? It's always a question. And the other guys, so they're really kind of just probing each other to, you know, get an idea of like, well, you know, how could we do something? How can we work together? Exactly. And so, yeah, that I think, you know, from a business perspective, it's that. But, you know, personally, I think it always goes back to family, parents and siblings, my brother, my sister. and. You know, How is Ann doing? She's great. She's, what, what's she doing? I hope she, she's, is she's she here. In, is she going to be here? She was here. She's not going to be here for the oh, meeting. She's back now. I'm but she's her. in nursing. She she runs the I think the whole children's hospital in Seattle. Oh my for, gosh. She runs the ward and manages. That does, it. Why does that not surprise me? No, and then she, she's <laughs> telling me now she she does a lot of uh, train you know kind of seminars where the uh, the. The hospital allows her to go to other hospitals wow. in different parts. She's, of, she's a remarkable yeah. person. Always has been. Yeah, she's really good at. She's been working in this kind of you know with kids and you know children's That's issues, cool. and so she's really good at it. And and yeah, she's everything. Just like in high school, she's buttoned down. Everything's organized. <laughs> and, you know, everything's. And she had know. that sort of follow me up the hill. Let's go. Right, I know where we're going. And no, she does. I'm going I there. follow her anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks, so, man. Thanks hey, for coming by, Frank. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I think it's great to talk to you, obviously. And now I got to get my podcast. Get your going. podcast. Cheers, man. All right. All right. Cheers. <laughs>